Don't you just hate it when you're playing with friends or family and you're playing a game of Monopoly and you roll the dice and you pick up the card and what does it say? The chance card. Go directly to jail. Do not pass go and do not by any means collect $200. And there's... Mr. Monopoly Man being carried off to the jail. Ah, but don't you love it when you roll the dice and you pick up the chance card? No, this time the community chess card, right? And there it is, your get-out-of-jail-free card. And there's Mr. Monopoly in his tuxedo being set free from the cage, and off you go. Jailbreakers. Gospel jailbreakers. That's our focus tonight. You remember, if you were with us two Sunday nights ago, that I preached from the early verses of Acts chapter 16, where the Apostle Paul and Silas, they, they go down to the river to pray and to teach in Philippi. And God opens the heart of Lydia as Paul is teaching and she believes, and behold, a new church is planted in Philippi. It would become one of the Apostle Paul's most active and most uh, loved congregations. They were partners in the gospel, giving in response to receiving so much from him. And as this church is born, you may recall that Paul and Silas immediately encounter trouble there is this woman, a demon-controlled slave girl who brought her owners lots of money by fortune-telling, so it was thought. And the Apostle Paul, intent on advancing the gospel, invokes the name of Jesus and with a word casts out the demon. And there goes the owner's hope of continual gain. So, Paul and Silas, they're seized by the owners. They're dragged to the leaders. They're charged falsely. They're beaten harshly. And they're thrown into prison. And this evening, that's where we pick up the story once again. We find Paul and Silas shackled and sitting in jail. Acts chapter 16, verses 25 through 40. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to read the text with me. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said, by the way, if you're exploring Christianity tonight, this is the question for you tonight. It's right on the lips 
of the Philippian jailer. Sirs, what must we do to be saved? That's what he says. And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. And then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly uncondemned, that is to say without a trial, men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So, they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out to the prison and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. This is God's Word. Let me pray for us. The unfolding of your words gives light. You say, Lord, and we thank you for revealing to us your gaze, your point of view, your authoritative interpretation of reality. All that we need to find life in Jesus. to break out of the prison through Him. And we are so dependent tonight, not only on Your revealed Word, but also Your bestowed Spirit. And we ask that You would open the eyes of our hearts to see Jesus. And in seeing Him, we might love Him. And in loving Him, we might be determined to live for Him. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Spiritually speaking, how do you, how do I get out of jail? The text calls us to take a good look in three directions. First of all, Take a good look behind you and remember your release from jail. Secondly, take a good look in front of you and all around you and imagine 
your neighbor's release from jail. And then finally, take a good look above you and celebrate your Savior's release from jail. It all emerges from the text. Let's take a look first of all. Take a good look behind you and remember your release from jail. What is Paul and Silas facing? I've described the suffering briefly. Then they were seized. They were dragged harshly. Then they were charged and tried falsely. Then they were flogged and jailed wrongly. Now, in this text, they're in a darkened cell. Their backs are bleeding. Their aches and pains are throbbing. And their hands and feet are shackled. What are they facing? Intense suffering. That's a very important question because our suffering is always influential, but it is never determinative. The big question is how are you living in the face of what you are suffering? How are you living in response to what you are facing? Typically, Suffering turns me in on me. I cannot see anything around me. It's all about me. I get curved inward. But what is so amazing about this text is that Paul and Silas are not turned in on themselves, but they're turned outward. Think about this. Nothing else but the power of the Holy Spirit can curve someone out. And that's what's on display here. Vertically, notice how they relate to God in faith. They're not moaning. They're not groaning. Verse 25, they're praying and singing hymns to God. They're not cursing but they're blessing God in praise. Here's the irony of the text. Paul and Silas are in jail, but Paul and Silas are actually men set free. Do you see it? How can this be? They must be looking back and recalling their much greater release from the jail of sin and death. The Apostle Paul will sometimes speak autobiographically about this. First, for example, 1 Timothy chapter 1, he says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and an insolent opponent, but I received mercy. Because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me. The saying is trustworthy and true that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the chief. But I received mercy for this reason that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life to the king of the ages. 
immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be glory forever. Paul is a man set free from the jail of sin and death. He's looking back, and he's remembering his release. But they're singing. And this is not just going through the motions. This is full-hearted joy. The Apostle Paul speaks of this fruit of the Spirit in Ephesians chapter 5 when he says to the church at Ephesus, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, he's in the jail, but he's set free. He's filled with the Spirit. He's under the influence of the Spirit of God. Like many of you, I was saddened to hear the news a few weeks ago that Tim Keller, former pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City, uh, passed away. Like many of you, I've learned so much from Pastor Keller. I remember 25 years ago him speaking on this text, Ephesians chapter 5, and he was talking about the Spirit. Do not get drunk with wine. Why? Because wine is a depressant. It helps you see less of reality. It shrinks your field of vision. Rather, be filled with the Spirit because the person of the Holy Spirit is a stimulant. The Spirit enables us to see not less of reality, but more of reality. Pastor Keller would tell the story. Imagine it's 3 a.m. You don't live close to the city. Black sky, no clouds, and the sky is filled with, with stars and representing just hardships and trials. Imagine every star in the sky is, is representing some agitation, some difficulty in your life, and it just twinkles and twinkles and it has your attention, and you cannot escape it. It just is right there for you to see. But then 3 o'clock turns to 4 o'clock, and 4 o'clock turns to 5 o'clock. And here in West Michigan, oh, about 5.45 or so this time of the year, what happens? Another star begins to outshine all of the other stars, they're still there. But they're being overwhelmed by another star. The truth begins to shine. That's what it's like to be filled with the Spirit. Yes, you're in jail. Yes, you're in hardship. But the truth begins to shine. And it outweighs all of the other hardships. To be filled with the Spirit is to see more of reality. And that's what Paul and Silas see as they think back about the salvation that Jesus has won for them. They're looking upward, faith in Christ Jesus. But did you notice they're also moving outward in love for their neighbor? 
How are they living in response to what they are facing? Upward in faith, outward in love. Did you notice? They're not imprisoned by bitterness. They're not keeping silent and letting the jailer die. But they're crying out with a loud voice of intervention. Verse 29, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And notice they're not imprisoned by selfishness. They're not being stingy and keeping the greatest treasure to themselves, but they're speaking the truth in love to those desperate to live. Verse 32, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You see, faith looks up at Jesus and believes what he says. And faith receives grace from Jesus. And as the Spirit works in grace into us, Paul and Silas are working it out by loving their neighbor. Before we move on, let me just ask you tonight, what trial are you facing? And how are you living in response to what you are facing? Paul's response invites our response. Resist turning inward. Instead, take a good look behind you and remember your release from jail. See God's mercy to you in Christ and turn upward to Him in faith. See God's heart for a dying world and turn outward to love your neighbor. Speak of how Jesus can get them out of their jail. Take a good look behind you and remember your release from jail. But secondly, the text teaches us to look around you and imagine your neighbor's release from jail. The text invites us to ask, what has this jailer in its grip? Now, the Bible is giving us God's points of view. The Bible gives us eyeglasses by which we can understand the jailer and any natural person for that matter as he or she really is. Looking through the eyeglasses of other texts, we see what this man and every person is by nature, physically alive but spiritually dead, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air living in the passions of their flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, hostile toward God, without hope in the world, justly deserving God's wrath. But all of that is 30,000 feet, and it's all true. But the Bible invites us to zoom close to Main Street where people actually live, like in this particular text. Notice, looking through the lens of this text, we see what enslaves this man one moment in particular. Verse 26, suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prison was shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfashioned. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Here's a man who's in the grip of fear. He's afraid of public disgrace. He's afraid 
of failing before their eyes and even perhaps failing before his own eyes. He anticipates his superiors coming to shame him for what will look like a dereliction of duty. And so strong is his fear that he would rather escape by taking his life than remain and face the frown. Here's another irony revealed in the text. The man who runs the jail is actually the man who lives in jail. He's in the grip of fear. Can you relate to that? I know what it's like to live in the grip of fear. I suspect you do too. And is your heart not moved with compassion for a man in the grip? That's what's gripping and binding him. But take a look second. By the power of the Holy Spirit working through the loving witness of Paul, this man escapes from death to life. He changes. And by the way, this is how change always works. First of all, you wake up. You've been sleepwalking. And the Spirit wakes you up. (laughs) Wake up, sleeper. And Christ will shine on you. The Spirit wakes us up to our need for Jesus. Maybe it was their preaching the day before. Maybe it was the singing in the night. Whatever the case, by one means or another, he comes under deep conviction of his sin. He wakes up. Secondly, he owns up. He owns up to his sin. I did it. I can't blame my circumstances. It's not your fault. I am responsible. It's my sin. He owns up. And you see it in what he does. He's rushing in. He's trembling with fear. He falls down before Paul and Silas, verse 29. And you see it in what he says. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He wakes up. He owns up. And then he shifts all of his weight, if you will. He turns. He turns. He turns upward toward Jesus in faith. He believed Paul's gospel, verse 33 and 34 tell us. He received God's sign of baptism. Before, he was in the grip of fear, but now he's filled with joy. He's filled with the Spirit. The Puritans used to call it the expulsive power of a new affection. But not only does he move upward toward Jesus in faith, he moves outward toward his neighbor in love. This is the dynamic of biblical change. Faith expresses itself in love. Before, he received Paul and Silas with cruel and heartless indifference. But notice verse 33 and 34. Now, he's washing their wounds. He's opening his home. He's feeding their mouths. 
Because faith, living faith, expresses itself in concrete love. Before, the jailer was dying in a dark prison, but now he is living under the gracious rule of Jesus. True repentance is unmistakable. As Darby Strickland told a large gathering of harvest leaders several months ago, you'll know it when you see it. True repentance is unmistakable. So, take a good look around you and imagine your neighbor's release from jail. Think about your friends who do not know Christ. What has her in its grip? What has him in its grip? As you contemplate the jail that they live within. In what prison are they trapped? And let this passage stir your imagination. There is no one beyond the saving power of Jesus. Imagine your neighbor's release from jail. Imagine how their life would be changed. Imagine how generations to come would be altered because your neighbor comes to faith in Jesus. The jailer's freedom previews what their freedom in Jesus can look like. So you take a good look behind you and you remember your own escape from jail. You take a good look in front of you and you imagine your neighbor's release from jail. But finally, the text teaches us to take a good look above you and celebrate your Savior's release from jail. Verse 25, 35. When it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. Now, the magistrates, the officers are likely thinking, okay, okay, okay. The angry crowd has left. The beating, the jailing has taught those guys a lesson. The public order is now restored. And so, we can close this case very quietly. Verse 37, but Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, without a trial, men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. Verse 37, Paul springs a surprise, doesn't he? Nobody knew this. They have despised and beaten and shackled a Roman citizen. Now, this is serious business. Serious penalties, 
against Roman law. Philippi could be stripped of all of their privileges as a Roman colony. The magistrates could suffer even worse consequences for their injustice. So, verse 38, the police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So, they came and they apologized. And can't you just hear the appeasement? And they took them and escorted them out and asked them to leave the city, verse 38 and 39. Now, notice... This is very important for the saints in Philippi and for the saints here at Harvest. Paul's demand is not motivated by a vengeful craving to get even or to embarrass the city leaders, but from a righteous desire to set the record straight for the sake of the young church that needs to know that Paul is an authentic, called by God, sent apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. You recall that the owners of the slave girl had charged Paul and Silas as troublemakers and city enemies, and that the magistrates beating and jailing of Paul and Silas, that would be viewed as validating the charge against Paul and Silas, but the charge is a false smear that jeopardizes the advance of the gospel. And so God's servants, Paul and Silas, know that the record needs to be set straight. Notice this public apology and public escort is the sign and proof that Paul and Silas are innocent men. This is vindication. But this vindication points beyond itself to the vindication of the Lord's servant, our Lord Jesus. Two weeks ago, if you were with us, you saw how the apostles' suffering conformed to the pattern of Jesus Christ. As goes the shepherd, so go the sheep who suffer in his name and conform a cross-shaped life. Their suffering fits the pattern of the crucified Savior. But here, tonight, notice their public vindication fits the pattern of Christ's resurrection from the dead. Notice how all of this begins. Verse 26, suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. I'm indebted to New Testament scholar Dennis Johnson who called my attention to the significance of the earthquake. It often signals the presence and power of God when He comes to save His people. You remember Matthew 27, the earth quakes when Jesus is crucified and the veil of the temple is torn in two from top to bottom. Matthew 28, the earth quakes when Jesus is raised from the dead and the stone 
that covered the tomb is rolled away. So here, the Bible wants us to make some very important connections. Take a good look above you and celebrate your Savior's release from jail. Because on Friday, Jesus was delivered over for your sin. But on Sunday, God raised him from the dead and vindicated his son. Do you see it? God saved the king. That's what the resurrection is all about. But we can even say more. And I'll never tire of saying it. On Friday, Jesus was condemned as if he was the guilty one. But on Sunday, Jesus was vindicated as the righteous one. On Friday, Jesus was held captive by the power of sin and death. But on Sunday, Jesus was set free to walk in newness of life in the land of the living. On Friday, the body of Jesus was sown into the ground in weakness and shame. But on Sunday, the body of Jesus was raised with glory and power. Do you see that the Father has established a bond between Jesus, the great shepherd, and all of his people united to him through faith? The one will represent the many. As goes the shepherd, so go the sheep. Jesus is the ultimate get-out-of-jail-free card. It's all of grace. When you land on Jesus, when you put your trust and all of your hope in Jesus, the crucified and risen Lord Jesus will set you free. Is that not the best news you've heard all day? This is the gospel. Jesus is our pathfinder, our lead climber. And as goes the shepherd, so go the sheep. So much so that the writer to the Hebrews quotes Jesus as he lifts a passage from Isaiah as if to say, Father, here I am, and all the children that you have given to me. As goes the shepherd, so go the sheep. So, take a good look behind you and remember your release from jail. Take a good look in front of you and imagine your neighbor's release from jail. Take a good look above you 
and celebrate your Savior's release from jail. Tonight we have the benefit of not only hearing the word preached audibly, but also seeing the word preached in the sacrament. So I'd like to invite the elders who are assisting this evening as we come to the table to come forward. And even as I remind us all that on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he instituted the sacrament of the Lord's Supper to be observed by his people in remembrance of him until he returns. The Lord's Supper is a sacrament that's...